Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 18 of History on the Table. All right, Rich, how's it going? You it triathlon is... running, project management test passing son of a gun. It is going great. I had a great last week. Um, everything everything came up Millhouse, as they say. Um, uh, now, now the only thing is just to not not have any letdown and, and keep everything going. But I'm getting to play more games, which is great. I'm already looking forward to next year's triathlon, and I'm trying to get a job as a PMP. So I got plenty to look forward to, but I am still bathing in the, the afterglow of, of finishing everything last week. Nice. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I got a little bit of feedback last time just on my the, the sound quality. So I've got a new audio setup, a new audio interface, new mic, all that stuff. So this is a little bit of an experiment. Hopefully everything sounds okay. We'll continue to keep playing with it. And then on top of that, the whole basement is taken apart because we've, we're painting, we've got a board game table on the way, and we're doing all this work around the room. So everything's a little chaotic over here, but it's all still pretty good. Do you record in your basement in the game room area? Yeah, yeah. So both our computers are down here, so we both kind of work down here my wife actually works and then i do this which isn't really work and play (laughs) things like war games which also doesn't work but yeah both our computers down here and then we kind of took everything else out and uh putting up some new i think we're going the besta route from ikea instead of the calyx route what's i know what a calyx is what's a besta a besta is just like more customizable so like with a calyx you buy everything you get it with the best that you buy like one frame and then you have to buy the individual shelves. Hmm. But if you go watch Scott Nicholson's, uh, he did a really good shelf episode where he looks at the Billy, the Calyx and the Besta. And it's like, okay, if, if budget go with the Billy, if design go with the Calyx, if flexibility and space go with the, uh, Besta. And so we're going to go with the Bestas. Yeah. Between shelves and counter storage. I mean, you could just talk forever just on those two things. Yeah. <laughs> joke like even just asl count yeah <laughs> how do you want to organize can... what do you want to do right. yeah but i'm sure you've seen at the asl tournaments some amazing setups that people have yeah and then i see things like people use like envelopes like little yeah uh which are just like to me that seems like the most ridiculous asl storage method like, yeah i I, I kind of get it um, just because, you know, I mean, if I can pick up an envelope and I know that everything in there is an American 447 or whatever, then, or then, you know what I mean? Um, or, but I don't know. It's then you, then you're sorting through a pile of un- envelopes to find, you know, Oh, where's that half squad I need? So whatever. Whereas I prefer to just like, look at a snapshot. Here's all my counters. Here's how they're organized. But Different strokes, different folks, all that good sense. We're not here to talk about ASL soldier. <laughs> We're here to talk about all kinds of war games. I've got a I've got a Mai Tai in hand and uh yeah, I'm ready to talk games. Nice. Let's do that. So I have not been adding. I've been on a heavy purge to make room for the new game room. And we got rid of about ten percent of our collection, maybe a little bit more. Uh, yeah. I did a an auction on BGG, it all went well. I would never do it again. Yeah, or if I did, I, I would that. be smarter had, about you it. You had a bunch up. What'd you you probably had 30 games in there, didn't you? Yeah, right. We had uh, 38 games. Not well, all of them sold. And okay. then some of them I sold beforehand. So I offered them up uh, amongst the... 
a group of war gamers kind of first dibs and a few of those went and then a few went to goodwill that just excuse me weren't worth the hassle yeah and my big mistake was not having a box for everything when i started so if if i were to go back and do it again i would have all of my shipping materials here and ready to go so i wouldn't have any delays especially i had a few bigger games that needed like custom boxes and i thought i had them and then i just i had to go to ups to get boxes and shit yeah i'm still not done shipping stuff out so yeah, over the course of the year, I'm definitely up in games, but I've not exactly done one in, one out. But what I did for, for most of the year anyway was if I sold a game, I would just keep the money in my PayPal account, and then I would use PayPal account if I want to buy anything new. Right. For the most part, that worked out, but then you know, I'd go to Miniature Market and get something that wasn't PayPal. So I got a few extras, <laughs> but uh, I've I've gotten rid of a number this year, too. Net positive. The new rule I've been told by my wife, and I will do my best to stick to this, is... Once we have our new shelves in place, everything has to fit. And so if new stuff comes or something leaves, I mean, everything's got to stay within these four or five new shelves that we're putting up. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. We're looking at moving definitely sometime in the next three years, but maybe Uh even sooner than that, just because, I mean, we've got a we've got a four bedroom house with three people living in it at this point because we've got two kids that have moved out. So we want to downsize, but we're not sure when and where and everything. So just in general, we're trying to downsize everything. So we we only move what we want to move. Yeah, we, we eventually want to move out of this house, and like what I've learned from my brother is start getting rid of shit now. Mm-hmm. And so over COVID, we've actually done a lot to like just clean our house out. Several trips to Goodwill, we both like spent time cleaning our closets and just, I don't know, I'm a bit of a collector when it comes to any hobby I'm interested in, so I just accumulate a lot of stuff, and I'm yeah. trying to... Yeah, so you got rid of a bunch of comic books, too. Yeah, I got rid of four long boxes of comics. I mean, just stuff that I was like, if I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna read it in digital format anyway. So I kept, I kept about a long box worth of floppies, and of either first appearances or key issues or covers. I like shit like that. For some reason, those comics they made the cut. Whatever. So I'm down to one long box. But yeah, four mm-hmm. of them gone. All that good stuff. Now, all that being said, I did add. White Eagle, White Eagle Defiant from Hollenspiel. Just takes up a little bit of space. Yeah, right. That's like <laughs> half half a GMT game, so I don't even count it, right? I can just yeah. that <laughs> That's the follow-up game to Brave Little Belgium from Ryan Heilman and Dave yeah. Shaw. Uh, a lot of the, if you go listen to our interview, some of the mechanics carry over. I'd say they're related games, but it's not identical. Um, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, I'd love to see the the differences in it too. I haven't played Brave Little Belgium in quite a while, but I I look at my my little shelf of Hollenspiel games here, and I think I need to get those out more. He and uh, uh, Brian, I can't think of his name right now, or no, Brad Smith, who dev- who did NATO Air Commander, has been posting a lot about Warsaw Pact Air Commander too, which is not even on pre order yet, but he's talking about it. So I'll definitely get that when it comes out. That's a ways away though. Next, what about what about you? Anything anything new on the shelf now? Yeah, I just picked up uh, Baptism by Fire, which is a mm. BCS game. Um, I've played it before. Um, that was actually the first BCS game I ever played, and I'm just you know I'm I'm reading a book. Um, it's called uh, what's it? Dawn. Of, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. It's the the Atkins book, the first in the trilogy. 
Oh, oh my gosh. Army at Dawn, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, and reading that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I really want to. And I've got Tunisia, too, but um, I've been I've been learning OCS, and I really want to learn some BCS as well. Um, so I picked up Baptism by Fire. And then I blame this one totally on you. I picked up To Take Washington as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's 100% gonna, your fault. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Line of Battle, uh, specifically None But Heroes. But uh, to take Washington is about your best shot, unless you want to pay for an out-of-print multi-man publishing game, uh, to get into the system. It's yeah. a good. It's a good game. Yeah, and it was not much. I got it used on BGG, so I can't remember what I paid for it, but it, it wasn't much. So. Yeah, as we'll talk about later, I definitely want to see more of that stuff come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so h- historic-wise. Uh, Historical nonfiction. I've been the only book I've. I'm still plugging away at that Shattered Sword, the the Midway book. We talked about it last episode. You and I were both reading it as part of a book club. Uh, it's fine. I mean, it's so much detail, <laughs> and it's you really. If you wanted to read a Midway book, this would be the book for you. If you're like, I want a detailed view of the Japanese perspective only. I mean, sure, it covers some American stuff, but this is really honed in on the the Japanese side of things. Yeah, it was pretty eye opening for me. I enjoyed it. Um, it there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about it, though. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I've been in book clubs before. I was in a, a mystery book club, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we we seem to be a lot better about the discussion there. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what kind of questions to ask. You know, as a joke, I threw out there. It's like, do you think the Japanese will pull it off? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely interesting. I'm glad I read it. Um, you know, but I don't I don't know. I don't have. Uh, I'm really I'm really into books that go with specific games. I don't have a midway game, so I don't. I know Flat Top is probably the closest to it, even though I believe that's specifically Coral Seas. And then we talked last time about uh, you know the the Wing Commander series, which um, or Wing Leader series, which which I definitely want to play, but I haven't yet. So. Yeah, you know, I thought this would, and, and we've talked about the book a little bit, My, how it's so zoomed in, and I don't know anything about Midway, as I thought it would be a book I enjoyed more because I'm really fascinated by carrier battles, mm-hmm. but I think it's like, I don't even, I still don't even really know the story of Midway. Like, I mean, I do, but at the same time, now we're super zoomed in on the level talking about like Japanese fire suppression systems compared to American fire suppression systems. Yeah. And like you spend a good amount of time talking about that, and I'm sure that's really interesting for people. But um, when I wasn't super interested in zooming in, like I can zoom in and do a, a book at this level and be okay with it if I wanted to. Like uh, we'll talk a little bit about the books I read for None But Heroes, and one of those books is like wide picture, another one super zooms in. Well, there I wanted to zoom in, and here I just I don't know. I was I was looking more for bird's eye view. Yeah, I'm sure if you really wanted a focused recount of midway from the japanese perspective this would be a great book for you it's it's well written oh yeah did you read and it in, very well did researched. you read it or, or listen to it i'm listening to it i have okay. about three hours left yeah so i did the same thing i listened to it and on this one specifically from what i hear and i even found one of the charts i think there's some like charts and maps in the book that would have really been helpful i know i know a lot of times when i listen to a book i end up going on sometimes just wikipedia or sometimes google earth or whatever just because i want to see it i want to see what the land looks like you know because they can say 
you know, this city is here, this island is here, they approach from this direction, but I can't visualize it very well when I'm just listening to a book. Yeah, especially when they're like, and they had a heading of yeah. 0160, and mm-hmm. then it was reported they had a heading of 036, and like, shit, like, I'm like, oh, no. Nope. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Have you read anything else besides Shattered Sword? Uh, so I've said this before. Usually I'm listening to one and reading one at the same time. Right now the paper book I have is called Hungry 1944-45, The Forgotten Tragedy. Um, I really just wanted to find a book on the battle for Hungary. And there are a few that are out of print, and there are some that are pretty highly recommended, but like used copies are 80 bucks on Amazon or whatever. <laughs> so this one I found in paperback. Um it's interesting. It does talk about the battle and the personalities to give some context. It talks a lot about the uh, the persecutions against the Jews that happened uh, sort of as a result of this battle, which as I'm, I'm playing Hungarian Rhapsody, and it's interesting to put that context in it because, you know, the Russians, and, and it's not, I don't want to make it seem like the Russians are some sort of liberating heroes force, um, but every minute that the Germans delayed the Russians was another minute that they had to kill more Jews. So um, it's kind of interesting. There was a lot going on in the background that really doesn't have anything to do with tanks and machine guns. Yeah, I would. Uh, I think last time I had just ordered Hungarian Rhapsody when yeah. recorded. So it, it's here now. Uh, I'd be interested in checking this out once I finally have uh, the table space to pull Hungarian Rhapsody out. Yeah. Well, I'm actually moving that one from the table to the computer, so we can talk about that. But yeah, and then because the game I'm putting on the table is a Vietnam game, I'm I just started listening to Vietnam the the Max Hastings books, the Max Hastings book. It's it's like 33 hours long, but um, from what I hear, that's pretty much the definitive book about the Vietnam War. How are, how are you finding it so far? Because I've heard very good things about it. I yeah. think I've spent a credit on it before in the past. Yep. I can't remember. So far, I'm only a couple chapters into it. I mean, we're not even like to the point of Dien Bien Phu yet. So, um, you know, they talked about the, you know, briefly went back to they got their independence in like 1400 from the Chinese and then in 1800. And then a bunch of stuff happened in World War Two that that led to uh, them starting to kick the French out and everything. So that's about where we are now. We're in between World War II and Dien Bien Phu at this point. Have you read any of his other stuff? I have not. Nope. Okay. He has a Korean War oh, okay. one, and I haven't... I bought this I bought this Korean War series that was kind of hard to track down just in, like, some other... Like you just mentioned, um, military history books that go out of print, like, there'll be ridiculous prices that I don't mm-hmm. ever want to pay. And this particular book on the Korean war was, and I bought that, but then I saw that he had a series on the Korean war, but I haven't heard anything about it one way or the other. The only, the only book I ever hear about from him is usually the Vietnam book. Yeah. So Good. Uh, all right. Well, as far as historical nonfiction stuff, that's all I've got to report in on. So let's talk about some games. Um. Yeah, I'll start. So one I was really excited for. We played Dune finally, which has been on my to play for, gosh, probably since I learned it was a game. But you know, outside of print and play, it was otherwise unavailable until the recent reprinting by Gale Force Nine. Mm-hmm. So a couple weekends ago, we pulled it out. We got all six people, and we got through two very drunk turns. But it was a whole <laughs> lot of fun. 
So what um, kind of, I, I really, I mean, I, I'm no, I know nothing about it. In fact, I know very little about Dune. I have not read the book. I have not seen the movie. I have not played the game. All I know is the spice must flow. <laughs> oh, man, you've never read Dune, huh? No, I've never read it. Well, I'll tell you that the uh, the first book is well worth your time for if you want to burn an Audible credit on it. It's like 22 hours. Yeah. It's got three or four, maybe more than that, voice actors. Super well done. And then it's up to you if you want to go on to book two and three, and then you should probably stop there and mm-hmm. never continue with Dune past that. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing, is I it know. Is it post-apocalyptic? apocalyptic earth or is it another world altogether no it's other worlds altogether okay Okay. um and so when i was growing up my dad didn't really impress a lot of things on us like you know as much as i talk about my favorite games and favorite comics and and do stupid podcasts like this i my dad never talked about like oh that was my favorite book or it would very rarely come up like i I remember the day that sledgehammer came on by peter gabriel and he told me his favorite song i was like what really (laughs) <laughs> and then when the Dune miniseries first came out when I was in middle school, he told me, he's like, oh, I read Dune nonstop when it came out. It's one of my favorite books. And that was such a rare thing for him to say. Like, he just didn't impress those things on us. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan of Dune. When did that come out? 60s, maybe? I think Dune was 70. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we could we could double check. But um, so always been a huge fan of Dune. I reread it when the game was on its way out or listened to it, I guess. Um, and it's pretty lightweight. Each faction is unique. They have their own rules that break the game, not to the extent of like root where each faction is kind of playing their own game. Mm-hmm. Everyone's playing the same game here, but they have their own rules and you can form an alliance with those players. And those alliances make really powerful power combinations and basically you're trying to control different strongholds on the map. And if you and another player are in the same territory at the end of the turn, you're going to fight. And basically however many soldiers you commit to that area, they're all going to die, whether you win or lose. And you also send in leaders. Leaders only die if you use weapons. And So every soldier from both sides dies in every yep. battle? Interesting. Yep. Um, it is. And so then it's like, and, but you want to leave enough guys behind to make sure that you retain control. So, like, let's say I have 12 guys there. Well, I don't want to commit all 12 guys to the battle because they're going to die, and I need to leave guys there to take control. And so it's a little bit of everyone's kind of fucking with everyone, except once you make an alliance, you both win together. Oh. Um, now, there is a special rule where the Benny Gesserit can win by predicting who wins the game on what turn. And I think they get a solo victory if they are part of the alliance that wins on time. Hmm. Anyways. um, So everyone's just kind of messing with each other. Again, it's pretty light. It's just, I think it comes the, 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 the depth comes from the gameplay. Okay. We only got through two turns, but I loved it. Are there any differences in the reprint versus the old game? My understanding is they're they're all cosmetic. Okay. There are some like rule clarifications and some optional rules that basically, since the original game came out and playing it at conventions or whatever, people came up with these uh, optional rules or variations or whatever that have basically become sure. the rules, and those are included as advanced rules and optional rules. Okay. And then Axis oh, Empires yeah. combined. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so we fired Axis Empires back up, even though, you know, I think if you look at the list, you would think, well, it's not that great. But <laughs> it is a lot of fun just to see the early game is super fun. And that early game is kind of when you're shaping the policies of the world and bringing in different countries on your side. And so we finally called our Axis Empires game. It was, I had reestablished a foothold in England and then got kicked out. It's like, all right, <laughs> so there's, there's no point in continuing on. It's like, all right, well, let's, uh, let's bring it in fourth and let's do a combined game. So now I'm playing Japan and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. First um, thing you're going to do is invade England. <laughs> that's right liberating um and so we went to limited war on turn three which is pretty fast i think i don't i'm not an expert at the game by any means but um i certainly planned on um no war for at least a few more turns but uh it, it got triggered in a, a weird way i think on a random die result but that's the beauty of the game is shit like that'll happen mm-hmm. uh so nothing new there knew there to report other than you know we wrapped up and then turned around and said all right let's do it again cool but you didn't this is the first time you played combined though right the last time you you didn't play combined or did you yeah no this is the first time we played combined okay Uh, so last time we just did to tower krieg which is uh europe and then um one of the guys that are in the combined game he and i played um a little bit of dicenso okay but we didn't uh, stick with it. So, so how, how many players do you have playing the combined game? It's four. So I'm Japan. One player is the West, which is France, England, and U.S. One player is Germany. One player is Russia. Okay. Sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, what's interesting is the two allied players, Russia and the West, are the only ones that play on both sides of the map. Right. So yeah, I'm that, completely yeah, contained. Yeah. I mean, so... I don't know if it's any necessarily any harder for them. The Russian player has to like worry about how they spend resources. Like they can't overcommit in the East. Yeah, or and especially it can, like, lead to an automatic defeat or something like that. I don't know the rules of that specific game, but usually in the big strategic World War II games that I've played, if they go to war early, that's usually bad for Russia because <laughs> they want to build up for a while. Russia yeah, usually not some... ready early. Yeah, and they have some like other cards like purges and stuff that they I think they yeah. need to get out of the way. Yep. I have yet to play as Russia, so I, I'm not really completely sure. Um, so really, that's that's it. Um, a couple virtual games, and then none but heroes, which we'll talk about. But with all the tables packed away and all the games put away, I really haven't been other other than you know a whole bunch of RPGs still. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as the table comes out, I want to get. Um, Central America back out, but okay. I had to pack it away. So cool. What about yeah, you? I've been playing on on my table uh, a lot of Hungarian Rhapsody, which I've kind of played around with OCS before, but this is the first time I've really made a a serious attempt to really learn it well. Um, and it's uh, it, you know we were chatting online about this with some other people as well but when you learn a game like that by yourself and you're not playing with another person you're never quite sure what you're getting wrong so you know i just want to check and make sure on a few, few things and I, I think i've got the hang of it i played i played the first full turn twice and i played two turns once and now i'm actually moving it i took it off my table i'm, I'm going to start playing it on vassals just because um 
there are some things that I think are going to be a lot easier on Vassal, like, you know, knowing where my planes and my supply points and all that are um, on the table. There's some pretty big stacks of counters that, you know, you can manage by putting them off to the side and stuff. But still, um, I, I was finding a lot of times I'm like, crap, where's my supply here? And I got to pay for this battle. And I know there's some around here somewhere. So I started doing little tricks, like I would move the supply points off to the side and mark them with those little, uh, you know, tile spacers, the little white X's. So I'd put those on there. And um, there was a couple times too, where I'd send in like some airplanes to bomb someone. And, and then I didn't realize until later, oh, that was in my fighter patrol zone. I should have intercepted him. So hopefully moving on a vassal helped me keep track of things a little better. And um, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm enjoying the hell out of the game. It's, it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm really starting to, once I'm starting to wrap my mind around how OCS works, I'm starting to realize what's so good about it. And it's a lot of the same things we talked about with Atlanta as ours, which I can see a lot of similarities between GCACW and OCS. Yeah. I love that you brought it up and then it spawned a whole bunch of people going like, yeah, now I'm in the mood for <laughs> OCS. And that's, it's exactly, you brought it up. I was like, dang, I really need to get back to OCS. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, other than an attempt to play a new game of Beyond the Rhine, I really haven't played since last year's Donkey Kong. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, there's a reason why that I think those games do as well as they do. They're they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to try out Hungarian Rhapsody, and then I'm really itching to get back to Korea, which I know I've talked about in the past, how I, I think, if I give it a fair shake, would probably be my favorite OCS game. But hmm. I need to spend some more time with it. Cool. Uh, what else you got going on? So I've been playing historical ASL. Um, I've been wanting to play it forever, and then all, all of a sudden I've got nice. two different games going. <laughs> so I've got a, a Red Factories game going where I am the Germans, and I've got a Hatton and Flames games going where I'm the Americans. So in one, one I'm attacking, one I'm defending. But uh, both of them, I've, we've just played, well, having, let's see, in, in Red Factories we made it through the whole first turn, and Hatton and Flames... Neither of us really know what we're doing, so we spent most of our first night just buying stuff and setting up. Um, and if you haven't played historical ASL, um, obviously the biggest difference is instead of just like the regular geomorphic maps, it has specific historical maps that match real terrain and buildings and everything. Um, but in a historical ASL module, if you buy it, there's a bunch of scenarios that you can just play on that map. But then you can also play the campaign game, which goes over the course of several scenarios in several days. And you have to like buy reinforcements with reinforcement points and stuff like that. Um, depending on how you do in one scenario depends on how the next scenario starts. So they're all linked together. Um, and there's a little more work up front, but I'm, I'm just really looking forward to playing both of them. So. And I'm doing both of those on Vassal, which is really nice, too, because with Vassal, obviously, you know, you just save and you say, okay, well, let's play again in next week or two weeks or whenever we're going to play. That's awesome. I am very jealous. I have several of the historical modules, and I think the last time I played ASL was with you. Oh, yeah. Which is a long time ago. And Yeah, I said the beginning of this year, that was one of the things I wanted to do is play ASL more, and I played... Once or twice at the beginning of the year, and I haven't played. I don't think I played since lockdown, so it's it's definitely good to be back in it. But you know, it's, it's funny with. I mean, sorry with with like OCS and AS. I mean, you play these games, and you know these these aren't easy games to learn. You know, you got to get into them, and the more you get into them, the more you like them, and then you look on your shelf and you see another game that you want to play also. Right. So, it's it's. I don't know. I 
I, I'm constantly struggling between like picking a system or two and sticking with it and playing all these new things that are cool and fun to play. For sure. And I, I made the vow a long time ago to play None But Heroes and it only took me like three years to finally get it out and play it. Yeah. And maybe I just need to say like, okay, in 2021, I am going to play OCS Korea or I'm going to play, you know, five games ASL. Now, pre-COVID, I thought I was going to be playing a lot more ASL, and mm-hmm. I think the, the Kansas City group is back in meeting, but it's just, I don't have a desire to play in person yet, so. Yeah. Uh, so, I actually did play uh, a game in person this weekend. It was my first face-to-face game, probably, yeah, since the lockdown. I mean, it's it's been a while, so um, it was just me and one friend. We, we met at his house, and we played Imperial Struggle. He picked it oh, up nice. last. He picked it up last week. He's like, "Hey, we need to play." There. Actually, he got it a couple weeks ago, and he was kind of waiting for me to pass my test and everything. But he said, "We yeah, we got to play this," and and we played it, and it was fun. I liked it quite a bit. I like it. It you know you hear the obviously the the comparison between it and Twilight Struggle. If I had, if I if no one had ever made that comparison to me, I wouldn't compare the two. With um, with the time I spent with the game, yeah. And again, we didn't play, but I read through the rules and started to started to push things around. I would agree a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean the the only similarity is you know there are spaces on the board that are vying for influence between two separate powers. Um, but even Twilight Struggle does it differently. Twilight Struggle, you know, you get to a certain number and it it doesn't lock it, but it makes it a lot harder to to influence. And in Imperial Struggle, there's no number that that happens on. In fact, there's no number on it at all. You just either you have it or you don't. Now, there are ways you can add some protection to spaces. Um, and there's ways that you can strip protection from spaces. But it's it's very different from Twilight Struggle. I like it better. I'm, I think it I think it's just it's got more variety of things to do. Um, and one of the mechanics for a game that I always kind of enjoy you know, you see it a lot in worker placement games, but you see it in war games too, where you never have enough to do what you want to do. Um, and this game feels like that. So, but there is a lot that has to be done. I mean, and you've got to, you know, you've got to vie for markets and control the spaces and, uh, um, you know, certain commodities and you have to prepare for wars that you know are coming. So we only played one time and I, I mean, I got completely blown out because, um, you know, I, I wasn't ready for the first war at all. And he won the first war. He didn't insta win at the first war, but he took so much from me in the first war that I never really recovered from it. Yeah, I would love to I would love to circle back to it. Yeah. I, everything I'm hearing so far is great. I really liked what I read. It's just and if you go listen to the most recent episode of AAC, I think Dave hit on it is you pull this game out and you kind of just expect it like, okay, yeah, let's play. I've played Twilight Struggle. I, I know kind of what to expect. We can just flip through the rules, which was my brother and I's expectation. And then I read through the rules. It's like, oh, this is way different. And then you open that map up. It's like, oh, this is way different. Yeah. Like, way. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Like, if people didn't make the assumption that it's going to be like Twilight Struggle, you would never draw that conclusion naturally. I agree 100%. Yeah. But I'm I glad think, to hear you enjoy it. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to get my wife to play this with me. She, she's not a big fan of brain burner games. Like the, the, I think probably the deep, she, she has played and enjoyed twilight Imperium. Um, she has played and enjoyed here. I stand, uh, Sekigahara. So, but learning a new game 
is she she's got to be the right state of mind for it like if she wants to um you know she if she's going to put the mental energy in she has to sort of reserve it ahead of time you know what i mean but she's a big anglophile and she loves english history so i think the theme might be might be good enough to get me to get her to give this one a shot yeah i mean and it's it's very euroy oh yeah yeah i mean this is a role selection game yeah i mean we're yep i mean it's not you're not playing cards back and forth you are each drafting a certain action to perform each turn mm-hmm. yeah and the turns are pretty quick too i mean we you know you get you get three cards and four actions basically so you don't you don't spend a card with every action because they have to match up in certain ways and everything but really each each turn is is really only each player doing four things yeah right yeah Cool. So that's what I've been playing. And, and actually, it was nice to have a face-to-face game as well. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to have a friend start coming over. I think it, it, it's all going to be small groups. We're not going to start meeting up in big groups or anything like that. But, uh, you know, in ones and twos with people that you trust, I think it's, you know, it's worth it to to uh, to get face-to-face. Well, we're going to start playing Vietnam together. So Nice. I, d- I did get a... Uh, I one other game. I bought a a, a copy of that to kind of piece together. You got Vietnam sixty five seventy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I already had it, but I oh. I got it from Half Price Books, like uninventoried. Okay. It's so like okay. Here's my chance to like. Basically, I'm gonna build a great copy and then get rid of yeah the other one. I think they're both complete, so it shouldn't be that big a deal. But yeah, I did see you sorting out your giant stack of Vietnam sixty five seventy five counters. They literally came all in one Ziploc bag together. So oh I've mostly got them sorted. I'm feeling pretty confident that they're all there. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> nice. I should I should pull that. Out. That's definitely up there on things I need to play as well. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? No, that's all I've been playing. But I'm I'm glad to be back into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you are too. I'm I'm looking forward to getting a, a table set back up and being able to um, get something on the table. I'm really starting to learn to appreciate the small scenario. So when I set out to play None But Heroes a couple months ago, I, I was like, hey, I'm looking for a player to play once a week, None But Heroes, play the full campaign game to see how far we get. I think it's like 100-something turns. Mm-hmm. And or maybe it's seventy something, whatever. It's an absurd amount, but it's like, yeah, I could do it. And it's like, oh gosh, we we didn't even get close to finishing this thing in time for the podcast. And so I I, but beforehand I was playing by myself, and I was just playing the smaller scenarios to kind of refamiliarize myself with some of the basic concepts from the game. It's like I always set out to, yeah. There's something to be said about playing the full campaign game and be on the Rhine all 107 turns or I think I keep going to 107 one of those games has is has 107 turns I don't know which one but one of them does there's something to be said about that yeah it's a great experience but you never really see it through to the end and it's like shit I should just pull out Korea and do the um the frozen reservoir yeah uh, the chosen reservoir or something like that just five or six turns get it knocked out not that many counters to push around I'm always so eager to jump in these massive scenarios in some games, it's worth it, right? We've talked about it. Battle Him, I think you should play the campaign games. Mm-hmm. In OCS and Line of Battle and certainly great campaigns in the American Civil War, those small scenarios are definitely worth it. 
and that's something in my mind at least especially for solo play is like yeah i should i should be chewing on these these smaller scenarios yeah it was just an observation i think no i love big games with small scenarios like a game that has the full deep rule set you know but a manageable map encounters even on hungarian rhapsody i've been playing you know just the first scenario which is only a one mapper but that could easily be divided really into two half map scenarios because the way the uh, the way the forces are. In fact, there's even a white line on the map that separates them. Um, there's a northern force and a southern force, and you could easily divide that into two scenarios. Uh, have half a map to play around on, especially if you're you know you're still learning OCS and you don't have to go around and switch sides and everything. So, um, yeah, I love big games with small scenarios. Yeah, I think as long as those small scenarios deliver a full game experience is the big... Right, right. And that's that's my point with Battle Hymn, is I don't think those small scenarios are actually worth your time. Yeah. Whereas I, what I've been learning is some of these small scenarios, obviously, I mean, of course, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're just as enjoyable, but I'm always like, ah, oh, fuck it. Balls deep, let's get the biggest scenario out there and then never see it finished. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a game even... I mean, you can go huge, G-O-S-S, and a game like Atlantic Wall give me one beach, you know, give me one beach to invade, give me Utah beach, you know, give the Germans everything they've got there. Give you know, you're going to get everything, all the, all the cool things about the deep, the depth of that game, but a manageable space. Well, speaking of giant oversized, massive <laughs> games, I, I set up um, the none but heroes campaign game. And I played a couple of the smaller scenarios, refamiliarized myself with the rules uh, let's rewind a few years. So when I got into the wargaming hobby after I played GMT's US Civil War, I was like, I really want to do this deal. And I've talked about this. Do a super deep dive on one topic and then talk about a game. And eventually that spawned in History on the Table where I talk about things like Lovecraft Country and Mai Tais and <laughs> uh, project management tests and things like that. And so here we are. But the game that kind of spawned this whole idea was none but heroes that's what i I wanted to do a deep dive on antietam i wanted to read all these books and then spend all this time playing this game and it took me about three years to get to that point none but heroes is uh it covers the battle of antietam it's part of the line of battle series from multi-man publishing uh it's by dean essig the map arts by nicholas scooby um and it is so most I, i assume a lot of our listeners may know this um, it's a reworking of two older multi-man publishing series, the Civil War Brigade series and the Civil War Regimental series. So CWB and RSS. And basically it came along with um, the guy that was working on those series was leaving on his way out and the rule books kind of got dumped into Dean Essig's lap. And he took it and basically streamlined the whole game and I think made it a lot more approachable. Um, and so I think at first glance, these games are super intimidating. Um, one, you're dealing with a scale of, I think each hex is like 150 yards, 110 yards. Okay. So, and then the units represent, um, this is regiment level. Um, and so you're dealing with, I think everything represents a brigade. Is that right? Uh, yes no i just, it's their their regiments which would make sense that it's regimental level anyways 
so you're super zoomed in just as a comparison i think gcacw is like 1200 yards a hex and so like in gcacw my buddy rex the guy i played with pointed out like our battlefield for none but heroes is probably like two hexes on yeah. the <laughs> roads to gettysburg map um so you're super zoomed in um and it's a very bloody game the whole somewhere in the rule book the game is summarized as you give your orders and you see how they play out or like you see the bloodbath that results and that's kind of the big takeaway from this game um the rules themselves regarding movement and fire and artillery fire are all very straightforward. On your turn, you can either move half and fire, or you can move and charge. And then artillery can move or fire. It's all really straightforward. Army. Okay. Um, and all the rules are you know, firing your artillery and firing your, your regiments. It's all super straightforward. You can attack with the stack. Your stack all attacks together. It's all very, very base, basic. The The level of, or the unique thing about this game comes in the command system, where you have to pass orders down from your army leader down to your core leaders, down to your division leaders. And then um, I think you even go down to brigade leaders at... Gosh, you think I'd played this game and remember. So they have to stay close to each other? uh, Close enough to pass the range of command or whatever? Relatively close. So, yeah, everything has to be within range of command. Um, So you have to say, you know, your core leader. Well, actually, I think your core leader doesn't have to be within so many hexes of your army leader. But then your your division leaders have to be so within so many hexes and so on down the line and so when you get new orders you have to pass those on and accept those and so you may hit delays it's like okay i want and i wish i had like prepared and pulled up the command structure so i could actually remember like who i'm talking about so like for example um i think you stop at the division leader i don't think you have to pass stuff down to brigade leaders anyways so for example uh, mcclellan issues an order to hooker and then hooker issues those orders onto doubleday ricketts and mead Mm -hmm. and then doubleday ricketts and mead all have to accept those orders on their own and so what you may end up happening is all right ricketts and mead get underway and then what happened in our game is freaking doubleday's over there inventing the rules of baseball just sitting on his ass for three turns and just letting Nicode- the artillery on Nicodemus Hill just have a field day. Um, and so there's so it, no, like, if there's enemy in front of you, you're going to fire whether you've given an orders or not, kind of like a fields of fire thing? So you fire, like, you can shoot and yeah. things like that. You can fire. Basically what you can't do is advance. And you can, like, reform your okay. lines. And some leaders have, like, initiative, especially the Confederate leaders, where... You know, like Longstreet could give orders in certain situations to basically carry out attacks, but basically you can't attack or, you know, move on the field of battle. Okay. Um, and then what's interesting is you have to follow those orders. So if my orders are to Ricketts is advance on the Dunker Church, and, you know, you could be as detailed or as kind of broad as that if you wanted to. Well, shit, if all of a sudden you're sending in Ricketts division and then there's 
two divisions and Confederates right in front of Ricketts. Well, there's no like, mm, I'm going to park Ricketts in these woods and not advance until Doubleday finally accepts his orders. No, you carry out those orders and you watch the bloodbath ensue. Now, Sounds you have very t- civil war to me. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's the point. It does a really good job oh, yeah. of of illustrating that um, because you wouldn't know. Like, yep. Ricketts wasn't in a position to know that Doubleday's forces are going to take another hour yep. to move. Yep. They get they got stuck in a swamp. It took them long, yep. longer than they thought to get through those woods. Uh, you know, these things happen and there no one had a radio. So, <laughs> yeah. And then it's also like you can't be like start your advance at 1015. You can say things like start your advance in an hour or, or things like that, you know, but you can't use like precise time. Mm-hmm. And so there's limits on how you write orders, but that's kind of the meat of the game. Hmm. And then the, the obviously the, the the whole other part is well how do I actually do all these things well, um, especially when you're looking at like the full Antietam map. It's just like, whoa, I've got dudes everywhere. I'm not really sure what I should be doing. Now the nice thing is is there's only so much you can be doing because you don't have the orders to do everything you want to be doing. Uh, so in the campaign game, it kind of scales up, especially for the Union player. Because when you start as a Union player, you just have one core active. So at least you only have one core to worry about, but it's a lot to, you know, just like stare at the map and like, gosh, I don't even know what to do. What would you think but, of this as like a, like a three-on-three game or something where one guy's the overall commander, you got a couple wings and, you know, you're passing down orders and they have to carry them out? Now I know I know that they did it. Um, the AAC guys did it before, and I, oh, did they? I think they enjoyed it. I I think it'd be great. I think you wouldn't want an overall commander unless it's like, oh, Rich is going to be off playing another game. We just need him once every hour or something yeah. like that. That'd be fine. Um, but I think that's great, especially if like if you really wanted to be sticklers about it and like say, okay, in terms of strategy, you can only talk by written orders because then I'd love to see like damn it, Rich, I can't read your handwriting or something like that. Or I misconstrue what you say and like start marching on like the wrong church or something like that, you know? So I think it would be super interesting and a lot of fun and also help make it more digestible. There are some like weird scenario specific rules, you know, like um, Burnside can't cross the bridge until 1045 or whatever it was. So like you'd have to find ways around that where players understand that they're not always going to be doing something. Mm-hmm. But once your full army is activated, like there's no reason you couldn't divide this up because basically you move everything at once. It's not like, all right, you move a brigade, then I move a brigade, or you move a division, I move a division. It's, okay, union players up. It's kind of like OCS. You do everything. So, yeah, I think I think if you had two, three players each side, it would be a lot of fun. It definitely lends itself uh, towards that. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the rules because, like I said, it's there's movement, there's move and fire, and there's charge. How how well written are the rules? Very well written. Easy to understand. Um, I, I think the hardest thing to grasp is the orders and knowing if you're doing the orders correctly. Mm-hmm. Because there's no, like, yeah, there's examples and stuff, but it's like... Well, shit, how exactly do I ride an attack order? 
And then there's all kinds of exceptions on like who can give initiative orders. And so, so like the, how do you do that mechanically in game? Or do you say, you know, it, cause I know a lot of, a lot of MMP games do this where they say, you just got to write this on the side. You got to write it on a piece yep, of paper. That's exactly you, what you do. Okay. So you don't, you know, it's not like you're, you have a choice of three chits to put on this brigade or whatever. No. Okay. Nope. You write it out. Um, again, you could put as much flavor, be as specific as you want in there, obviously. And then you act on it and you carry it out. And if, and then you may run into, set, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm not, I'm not talking about here. And I, I could go into detail, but I think what I wanted to do is spend more time about what this game made me think and feel. It's one of the reasons I like us civil war so much is like, I feel the anxiety of, I don't have enough forces across this entire map and I need to be pushing over here, but I need to be responding over here. And so, um, you know, there's all kinds of things like you can have a fluke stoppage where your attack fails, you know, you guys can route and you got to worry about retreat and all those things. So all that stuff's in there. Mechanically, the rules are there. Um, but again, what makes this game unique is this whole command structure and kind of seeing the what what follows. Because at that point, you still have tactical decisions, what guys move into what hex, but really it's kind of out of your hands at that point. Once you have an attack order, you've got an attack order until you issue a new order. And so it's, uh, I don't know, it's really interesting. I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. One more mechanical question for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. Terrain, line of sight, hills, stuff like that. It's a, it's, mm, so it's pretty tactical game. So what's that right. like? So the general rule is like, look at it. If you both can agree, move on. <laughs> if you need to, there's like a whole slope table yeah. where you measure like between you, like what's the slope? Okay. What type of intervening terrain is there? And you, you kind of look at them and it gives you an answer of whether it blocks it or not. Okay. But most of the time, I mean, you're, if you're firing from more than two hexes away with, um, with your infantry, you're not going to be getting much of a hit. Okay. And this game, this game also really isn't about artillery either. Um, artillery isn't effective. I mean, yeah, you get your lucky hit and something crazy happens from 12 hexes away, but really artillery is only going to be effective at super close ranges. Yep. And Wait he talks about it. Art- charges you and put the canisters in. <laughs> right. Oh, man, we had some very bloody <laughs> canister results. And that's that's another big takeaway is this game is super bloody. Um, which, I mean... That's Antietam has always fascinated me because it's the bloodiest state in American history. And so mm-hmm. this obviously it does a good job of capturing that. But somewhere in the rule book, he talks about that the, the main point isn't artillery or, you know, you're, you shouldn't be worrying about, you know, inflicting a bunch of casualties from 12 hexes away with your batteries and stuff like that. That's not the, the point of this game. What about Cav? Is it yeah, Cav's in, in it? Yeah. Um, so the Confederate Rex had a lot more cav available to him. Um, my um, my cav didn't even activate in our game. Um, we're gonna keep going. We're not. We're not done with it. We're far from done with it. We're just dropping the every week um, to play a little more irregularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's there. You can, um, I guess we didn't get into the position to like use them as Civil War cavalry should be used, but I did use them in to take Washington. Mm-hmm. 
and I could basically use them as they were, either as I use them more as a um, harassing force um, to kind of mess with his his troops that were that were marching in mm-hmm. um, to kind of get behind them and, and, and things like that. Anyways, um, so I know what we talked about with great campaigns of the American Civil War is how great cavalry feels. I don't know if I can say one way or another how the cavalry feels here. Okay, cool. Uh, so one thing that, I don't know, I found it really funny is, you know, and I think I talked about this last time is McClellan was infamous saying like, oh, there's 200,000 Confederates on (laughs) the other side, you know? And I, I felt like that because (laughs) there's so many counters on the Confederate side that it's just like, gosh, how will I ever overcome them? But then you start looking at them and it's like, oh, really? They're only a two strength and and they're firing muskets. And then, like, I've got the Iron Brigade over here, and they've got, like, eight steps and, you know, a great morale. But I was thinking, like, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to beat Rex. Like, he's just got a horde of guys over there. And I, I seriously felt like McClellan. And that that was, I mean, that's a really cool takeaway, to have the same concerns mm-hmm. that you, you, you read about. And then the game obviously forces the same frustrations that uh, the Union faced in Antietam. Um, I, I read in one of the books that at no point in time were more than 20,000 Union soldiers engaged at one point, like consecutive yeah. or at the same time. Yeah. So if, if you're unfamiliar with the Battle of Antietam, um, this is the Maryland campaign. So Lee drives north. They, the whole plan is like, oh, if we just get to Maryland, they'll, they'll join our side, yada, yada, yada. Um, this was an attempt to bring England and France into the war on the Confederate side, or at least intervene. I guess I, sh- I shouldn't say in on their side, but at least intervene and recognize the, the Confederates as a legitimate, uh, nation. Yeah. That was the big thing is even if, right. even if they could just get diplomatic acknowledgement that they were a nation, that would have been a big win for them. Right. Exactly. And so, um, but this was also, you know, now the Confederates were, this wasn't a war of Union aggression. Now the Confederates were were in, in Maryland. So um, Confederates drive north. This is the infamous, uh, gosh, who lost their, someone lost their cigars. And I can't believe I'm forgetting who it was. Well, I don't they remember lost, who it was, but yeah. Well, they the suspect about the cigars who it was. Wrapped in. Right. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows for sure who it was. I think it's a pretty good indication it was basically... Three cigars with Lee's handwritten orders on what they were going to do. And uh, McClellan got those orders, really didn't do anything. And then with the Confederates with their back basically against the wall, um, the Union, it was a very bloody day. It's the bloodiest day in American history. And you kind of have this weird thing where, okay, there was some action on the left flank of the Confederates and then in the center and then on the right. And... Um, some Confederate forces marched in at the last minute to kind of save the day. And the Union, if they had just made a cons- like a joint effort to push against the Confederates, probably could have ended the war right then. Or if they but had it was followed McClellan. up. <laughs> right, it was McClellan, and then you had a whole bunch of big personalities conflicting. There was a whole deal with Burnside and... Um, Oh gosh! Um, you said Meade, oh, uh, but no, was, not Meade. Um, before Burns, he got prom- yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Mead's still a division uh, commander. Uh, gosh, 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 gosh. Doesn't matter. Anyways. A whole bunch of big union egos conflicting with each other. McClellan not engaging. Like, a whole core was left, you know, off the battlefield. As a matter of fact, as the as the union player, you have to leave at least six divisions east of the Antietam until 10 o'clock. And you can only get a full victory if at least one core is not issued orders for the entire game. Wow. So, um, yeah, it seems you have like some a lot of these games, the the whole goal is to to get you to realize how how bad McClellan was. Yeah, right. And I, <laughs> not all of this. So, I one point that I kind of took away, like, yeah, a lot of this was McClellan's fault, but I don't think all of it was McClellan's fault. Um, Again, if, if the Union force, and maybe I guess it was his, if the Union forces had just made a joint effort, they could have knocked him out. Or if McClellan had done more to follow up the next day, mm-hmm. um, they could have maybe ended the war. But as it went, technically it was a Union victory. The Then Lincoln used that technical victory to launch the Emancipation Proclamation. Excuse me. And the rest is history. A lot of people... You'll hear a lot of different arguments for the turning point of the Civil War. This is, um, I don't know, probably the first legitimate. I mean, there's a whole bunch. Of, I guess I should say there's a whole bunch of Confederate disappointments around this time. Um, but this was a key point in the Civil War. Confederate was threatening legitimacy with the European nations. Lincoln was waiting for a win to for the Emancipation Emancipation Proclamation. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else there is to say, um, about, about the war, uh, about the battle. Um, it's a fast, to me, it's a fascinating battle, um, and campaign to read about the whole Maryland campaign as a whole, um, basically outmaneuvering the union, McClellan getting reinstated, and uh yeah when we played um gcacw uh last year we played online um that was before this right that was that was mcclellan's first entry into the peninsula and then this came about after that after they kind of beat mcclellan back um yeah i believe that's i i believe that's right i'm trying which game did it was what, to we take played, richmond uh, right yeah so yeah, that would have been before. I'm almost certain. Uh, I think that's what it was called. No, to take Washington is what I'm thinking of. It was uh, on to Richmond. Yeah. On to Richmond. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah, I think that was like right before this, basically. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, it would have it would have had to been so. Okay. Um, yeah, but then McClellan gets pulled. And then, um, you know, Jackson dances around, and then we get the second battle, Bull Run, and uh, eventually it all comes to a head at Antietam. Super bloody day. Mm -hmm. Technically, the Confederates withdraw, so it's treated as a Union victory, and we go from there. Technically. But even at that point, I mean, and Grant took advantage of it much later, but he knew that if both sides just beat the hell out of each other, the North was going to win. The Confederates couldn't keep up with manpower. So. Oh, and that was right. I mean, if you, when you, so a couple of books 
Oh, we'll get to those. But I mean, Lee's whole point was he knew. I I guess maybe he knew. At least he claimed to know that if the war continued on, there's no way that the South could win. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't keep up with the recruitment efforts of. Uh, the Union, there's just there's just no way. Yeah, because uh, at this point in the war, the Union, I mean, they were fighting with one hand tied behind their back. They weren't even like in, you know, if you want to consider terms that really were used more later, but the Union was kind of limited war, <laughs> and the South was at, at full war at this point. Right, right. And I think that, well, I think that the the north had suffered quite a few embarrassments yeah as well um not that not that the south had it either so um a couple books i'd recommend uh the first book i read was landscape turned red which i think i've talked about before by stephen sears it's kind of the the deep dive if you go look for books on the maryland campaign or on antietam there's kind of two that get recommended the most there's really not as many books out there on the battle as i thought there would be um, so landscape turned red is one, and that's a whole um, from from Richmond on um, covers the whole campaign through Antietam. My big complaint with that book was there wasn't enough maps um, for the level of detail it went into, but it's very well written. That's what we were just talking about before: is the need for right. maps to put context. Yeah, absolutely. If you want a bigger picture, if you want to zoom out a little bit, uh, Crossroads of Freedom by James McPherson. Uh, basically does the same thing. It it puts bookmarks on the battle, um, gives you context. Doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the battle, but it's it's like a third of the length of landscape turned red. So if you just want to get a quick snapshot of the battle beforehand, just blow through Crossroads of Freedom. It's very well written. If you then want to turn around and get a, a zoomed in look at the battle. Dude, Landscape Turned Red by Stephen Sears. Both are fantastic reads. I don't know. Any other questions about, like, I didn't spend that much time talking about the system because I didn't want to, I didn't want the rules to get in the way of. You don't want to be a system review. You want to be a game review. I do have a question, though. You talked about, and maybe it's just because this side you were playing, but you talked about, uh, I think from the, the union side, you know, you were frustrated because you didn't have enough orders didn't have enough to do it seemed like you were overwhelmed have you played from the southern side at all do you know what it feels like from that side only the smaller scenarios Mm -hmm. i mean i know that as the confederates you don't have you don't have everything available to you one you gotta you gotta release the forces from harper's ferry they come later um some of your leaders are asleep you know things like that and you still have to wait for orders to go through before you can really move stuff I mean, the upside is, yeah, he had a lot to do, but he knows that really you're only going to have one or two cores attacking for those first couple hours anyway, just based off the Union rules. So it's not like he's really got to worry about stuff by Burnside Bridge anyways, which is on the the south side, uh, the Confederate right flank. Like, he doesn't really need to be spending time repositioning those forces because he knows nothing's coming across that bridge for at least, you know, 15 turns or something like that. Just in general, what are the victory conditions? Are they geographical, losses, combination? Um, yeah, so basically if the the Confederates can win by exiting off the north side of the map, which is where the 1st and 12th Corps are, that seems very unlikely. 
um, the other the union wins by not committing um, a core, mm-hmm. and if the Confederates withdraw before the end of the game, I'm not sure. Like, I think the withdrawal is probably just like the Confederate player, like, oh, this is this isn't a good outcome so i'm not sure like how you can force the confederate player to withdraw we're not close to that point yet but they can also win so they can win by remaining on the field of battle so not being forced to withdraw they can withdraw to the north and if the union has committed all their cores so basically you get the union to overcommit and you have a, a path to exit to the north okay and then there's some there's like smaller versions of victory as well and is it is it a two map game, two standard size maps, like twenty two by thirty four? Yeah, yeah, t- two maps. Okay, and it's a beautiful looking map. Um, I love the. I th- like I said, I think Nicholas Scooby did. Well, I know he did the map, but you know Dean Essig by trade is a map maker. You know that's mm-hmm. like what he went to school for, and so it has this Dean Essig look. Um, I'm not sure like how they split up the art duties on this, but it's got that 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 look of his, and it it looks beautiful. Just like an OCS map. Cool. Any any other questions? Uh, what I was starting to say is I didn't want to get tied down in the rules and like, this is how fire works and this is how move works because again, it's all pretty straightforward. This system, and I don't know if I've done a good enough job of articulating this, is really good at capturing what you said, like the feel of the Civil War. Giving those orders, seeing how they play out, and then you know scrambling madly to you know correct and address the situations, but also dealing with the fact that, yeah, it's going to take you an hour to get your order on the other side of the battlefield because, like you said, there's no radios, there's no tel- mm-hmm. telephones or anything like that. Um, and it's it's really nice. It's really streamlined. A lot of his design notes talks about, okay, here's, here's the old rule of, you know, you got to worry about things like bringing in uh, ammunition for artillery and... It's, it's streamlined, you know, basically for the Union player in this battle specifically, as long as you're, you know, not out of supply and cut off, you can basically just, not really hand wave it, you still have to track overall ammunition, but like, oh, okay, they've got a line back to the, the Army headquarters, so, all right, they're, they're replenished. Mm-hmm. Now, the Confederates in this side, if they fire and they get a ammo depletion, they've got to move the artillery back go pick up ammo and then move back to their position. And so there's things like that, but he talks about all the way through the rules of this is, these are the ways we've streamlined this game. And when you read what he talks about, it all makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think the core rules are, you know, probably 40 pages of rules and it, it seems intimidating at first. But again, if, if you just play like the cornfield scenario, which is just a bloodbath, right? Because you guys are on each side of the cornfield. You're just marching forward. Each side, I think, has orders to t- uh, take the cornfield. And so all you're, you're not worrying about command structure there. You're not worrying about HQs and writing orders and staying in command. All you're worrying about is the move and fire and charge and, you know, blowing each other to smithereens. And that's a great way to learn those basic mechanics, but I think you'll really quickly learn. I, I know I say this all the time, but this is a really actually mechanically easy game are you playing on vassal is it a good Uh, module oh yeah the module is really nice that's good cool 
Yeah, it does. So there are some like little quibbles here and there. There's a lot of rule exceptions, you know, exceptions to rules, especially like the command structure rules. We did, we spent a lot of time looking up those exceptions and working through the, you know, the slope line aside a couple of times. Um, so that's a downside, but that's going to be the case of any game. You're looking up most war games. I'm looking up rules anyways. So, um, the other thing is there's bookkeeping. You know, if you have an eight strength unit, you track each individual loss and you can either do that with the counters provided, you know, ticking it down seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, whatever. Or, um, there were casualty loss sheets from one of the previous games in the series. And some other people have come up with those sheets for this game. So you can just, um, you can use those charts to to mark off casualties and it it indicates when they become wrecked and basically become combat ineffective and all that stuff okay and so that's i mean but that's like now i'm reaching for you know quibbles um you know trying to find a flaw with the game uh i'm trying to think if there's like anything else i don't know if i've done a good enough job of explaining the game i think there in this game in particular there's four small scenarios and four campaign scenarios um the main campaign will will last you a significant amount of time i mean the game's phenomenal i'd be i'd be curious to hear from anyone else if they think they have a better antietam game especially at this level I, I like the Antietam scenario, not not the Antietam campaign game, but the specific Antietam scenario from Road to Gettysburg 2 for the great campaigns of the American Civil War. A ton of fun. And yeah, you kind of see the importance of Antietam Creek, but you know at that level, you're not worrying about a cornfield or Nicodemus Hill or anything like that. I mean, those are blips in a hex. Um, so I'd be curious to hear, hear anyone's better game on Antietam than this. Because when I got into war games, uh, the search I was doing all the time is like best war games on Antietam. And, you know, other than the stuff that already came out in this series, I don't know if there's anything out there that would be near as good. Yeah, I can't. I don't think I've ever actually played an Antietam game, so I don't have anything to throw out there. I mean, there's like not not Battlecry. Um, well, there's the one Civil War. There's the one war game that's kind of like Commands and Colors. Um, yeah, the, the Worthington games. I think yeah, Worthington yeah. games came out with yes. an, an Antietam yes. block game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they came out with a American Civil War block game and it has an Antietam scenario. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Um gosh, I even own it, but hold the line. That's what I'm thinking of. Hold the line. Right, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I've played that series before. Wasn't but, crazy about it. Right. It's pretty straightforward and it's got an Ante- excuse me, Antietam scenario, but it went it's not an Antietam game. So, again, if, if you've got one that's better, throw it at me because um, Antietam is, again, a battle I find super fascinating. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's None But Heroes. Um, a little different review than we normally do, uh, but I was trying to find the right way to talk about this game. 
So it sounds good. The question is how good? Oh, it's super good. Hold super on. good, like how good? Okay. Like how so, would you rank it in right. the list of the greatest games of all time? Okay, so yeah, we have this thing, right? It's called the Every War Game Ever. And Rich and I are merely the arbiters of this list. And basically, we take every single war game ever made. We're up to, this will be game number 25. So we're, as you can see, we're making great progress. Uh, and we rank them. The problem we keep running into is only one of us has played it. So uh, I'll have to do the heavy listing, lifting this week. Uh, so I'm looking easily in the top 10. And if we jump to, if we're looking at the bottom of the list, we jump to Battle Him, which is coming mm -hmm. in at number nine. This is way better than Battle Him. Way better than Battle Him. Okay. So then you jump up to the next Civil War game on the list, which is Atlanta's Ours, which, Richard, that's the number two game of all time. It is. Yeah. It's been scientifically verified. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's where I struggle because everything from number seven up is a pretty damn good game. U.S. Civil War, number one. Atlanta's ours is two. Beyond the Rhine, Red Storm, Next War, India, Pakistan, Songrad, 42, and then Silver Bayonet. Oh, boy. I'm going to need your help on this one. So how does this make you feel? I mean, you you talked about you, you're feeling the frustration. That's a big thing to me. I've I've talked about that before. When I when I look at a game and my experience of the game, I'm asking, you know, who I am. And obviously, this is history on the table. We're both we're both more interested in probably historical simulation than just a game for a game's sake. I think that's probably a fair statement for us. So not that the the how do I want to say this? Not that the the mechanics of the game aren't important because they certainly are, but I think I think you and I both tend toward how do the mechanics and the map and everything how do they feel as far as putting it in a historical situation? When we did Empire of the Sun last month or the month before, or whatever, this was actually one of the reasons that I knocked it down a little bit because it felt a little puzzly to me rather than putting me in a historical situation. So how does this game make you feel in that respect? So far, I have felt like McClellan. So it's doing its job. <laughs> I see a shit ton of Confederates on the other side of this damn creek. I've got, you know, well, he's uncooperative himself. Gosh, he just got to the point where he can issue orders because he chose to sl sleep in, you know. So it's, it's super frustrating. It's super bloody. So it's doing a great job of capturing the battle. Um, you know, this list is set in stone, except for the one time of year where I'm okay with changing some things. One thing I've been thinking about is that Atlanta's ours is, man, that was amazing. But I think back to a time, or gosh, I sound like a ding dong there. I think <laughs> back to one time I played it with someone who didn't play it. When I've played it with you and played it on myself, I play it like, we're playing the Civil War. Mm -hmm. When I played with this guy that pulled my pants down and ran around me, <laughs> he played it like a game. Yeah. And like did things like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because it works for you to get the win. But from like a, a Civil War standpoint, it really doesn't make sense. Does that make sense? It does. And that's like it's got a really gamey yeah. element to it. Yeah. And that's one of the 
yeah, one of the things that's actually good about Empire of the Sun is that, like I said, it is puzzly, but it also, I need this airbase because it's going to protect my supply lines. Atlanta's ours. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that. It's it's hard to say because I haven't played it against anyone that was just a troll, basically. Well, and, and I that wonder, may come in the, I mean, I, come in the s- smaller scenarios, too, real quick. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know if they would do the same thing in a campaign game. But basically, like, they ran guys around me and ran up to the victory yeah. point hex because they really didn't have to worry about supply okay. or anything. Yeah, I will say that the short scenarios in Atlanta's ours are basically worthless. But, I mean, that's, that's true in some other games, too, where, um, you know, and, and they do gamify them by saying... These guys can't pass through this pass. Well, why not? Because if they do, you'll instantly win the game. <laughs> I mean, and, and the reason for that was is because historically there was a reason they didn't pass through it. It wasn't because they would win if they passed through. It was because they were stupid and they were afraid of 20 guys that they saw ahead of them when they had 100. Um, so, yeah, I, I will say the sh- short scenarios are not representative of the game. And, and that's that's another consideration, honestly, because... Atlanta is ours is amazing, but not everyone has, you know, 200 hours to put into it. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. I think the same thing can be said here is you get I mean, the full potential yeah. when you play the campaign game. Okay. I mean, yeah, those little scenarios are great for learning the game, like I said, and they're fun, but you're not getting the full experience of like playing around with issuing orders and, and giving commands and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, Looking at some of the other ones, I mean, I would say like games like Red Storm, Next War. Um, I haven't played Stalingrad 42, but I've played other games in the system. Um, those games are are good even with the shortest scenarios. Yeah, I mean, Stalin- Stalingrad doesn't really have a a short scenario um, per se. And then, so I'm see now it's like you're really splitting hairs here. <laughs> so. I guess I was trying. If this came out last year and I played it last year, I don't know if I would pick it or Stalingrad Forty Two. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also think it's better than Next War in New Pakistan. I haven't played Red Storm. Do I think it's better than Beyond the Rhine? I think Beyond the Rhine is pretty they're very similar games let's yeah. let's talk about that so since you're starting to play ocs mm-hmm. um i think you know in both games there's kind of reaction phases mm-hmm. um if the if it's my turn and i move and fire you can basically take one guy and fire back at me but other than that, you're just kind of sitting there watching. But that's true of OCS, too. I mean, there's massive amounts of downtime in OCS. I mean, that's true to some degree in every game. Oh, yeah. Well, cert- yeah, Stalingrad 42 is the same way. Next War in New Pakistan, yeah. same way. So that's true. Oh, man, this 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 is actually probably the, the most I've struggled. And I'm trying to buy time as I just blankly stare at this list. So what um, what do you like the most about this game? Well, one, the subject matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is my jam. This is what I've wanted in games since getting into yeah. wargaming. See, that affects it too. I mean, like right. I said, I mean, right. I'm I'm always going to be more interested in something that I have some sort of context for. I mean, there were 
if you give me, you know, historical battles that happened in Missouri and I'm like, hell, I know where that is. I go there all the time. It's going to be more interesting to me just because I've seen it with my eyes. So, you know, there are, there are certain periods of history, like, um, you know, a uh, hundred years war Napoleonic stuff that I've played games and I've enjoyed them, but it's just, they're, they're automatically starting a step down because I'm less interested in that particular part of history. Whereas, right. you know, a civil war game, world war two game, those games are, are they're going to be starting a step ahead for me. For sure. Yeah. And so, you're right. So that weighs in there. Um, I don't think combat is as fulfilling as something like OCS, mm-hmm. but parts, you know, all the parts together, I think maybe it's better than OCS, but ugh. okay, I'm going to move up from the list. So Battle Him, it's better than Empire of the Sun. I'm going to assume that I like this more. That's not really fair to you because you've played Empire of the Sun and haven't played this. Once you get to Silver Bay, then it gets really tricky. As a rule, I like Civil War, or as, as personal preference, I like Civil War more than I like Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I think... Ah, man. I was going to say, I think Silver Bayonet like, has more excitement, but then I think back to, like, well, John Gibbon is dead in Antietam, and early on, I killed a Confederate brigade commander. And it's like, so it, it also tells really interesting stories as you have these leaders die on the battlefield as you as you set up this beautiful charge. I was actually taking Nicodemus Hill trying to push the artillery off when John Gibbon died um, leading um, the Iron Brigade. And, you know, so it's also capable of telling us stories and having those moments of high excitement, which which you see in things like Silver Bayonet and Stalingrad 42 and Next War India, Pakistan. Um, hmm. <laughs> so let me just ask you this. So I got yep. four games in front of you. I got Beyond the Rhine. I got Red Storm. I got Next War India, Pakistan. And I've got None But Heroes. You can have one of those games and the other three you're never going to play again. None but heroes. I mean, it's no. I mean, that that's I, easy. Because I think it's, it's number it's the, three then. Well, then you got to ask, is it better than Elena's ours? And that, I think, comes down to the system. Yeah. And I think GCACW, as much as I liked this system and as interesting as it was the like the command rules yeah they tell a great story and it's this really fun thing when you know shit hits the fan and your orders aren't going through but they also kind of get in the way of like okay lee's here and i've got to count out 32 hexes oh he's got an independent command he doesn't have to be 32 hexes away from lee he can be standing there and so some of that stuff kind of gets in the way and i think with time you could overcome that and become natural i don't think you have those hurdles to really overcome with GCACW. Um, but then you throw in, I sure as heck enjoy Antietam and Maryland campaign a lot more than the Atlanta campaign. I'm going to go number two. 
Wow. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna rank it number two. Sorry, I'm not gonna go number two. Wow. Yeah. So we, can, we are we are heavy on Civil War at the top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top three games of all this, times are U.S. Civil War. This this Christmas we can reassess. Um, you know, we still have to play Silver Bayonet together. Yeah. I need to play Empire of the Sun. I need to play Red Storm. Gosh, I really need to play Red Storm. I was you and I, need, you and I need to play Beyond the Rhine. I mean, we're I'm getting Ooh. into OCS and yeah. I was I was moving games around to you know, purge stuff and, and make room for stuff and I was going through my GMT games. I was like, son of a bitch, there's Red Storm and it just looks so good. Mm-hmm. I need to play it. So yeah. there we go. See the, the, the problem with this list though <laughs> is that we're only playing games that we're gonna enjoy. So like it's not likely that one of us is going to play a game in market number 24 because I pretty much know, you know, I don't have that much time to play games and I'm not going to play something for the most part if I'm not going to enjoy it. So I was, that's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that. It's like, man, I got to get some like bottom <laughs> to get some crap on this list. And I was like, I was thinking about, well, I guess I could revisit some of the things I'm never going to yeah. play again. I'm going to do Settlers uh, of Catan for the features game next month. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the Twilight Struggles a war game. Or which, which might bump up kidding. Zeppelin Raider. <laughs> <laughs> I had a rule that I, and it, personally that I would never set out to discuss whether twilight struggles a war game or not yeah. I think it's just a ridiculous <laughs> conversation but yeah you're right um i mean you you have to get down to like number 24 to find a bad game now mm-hmm. i mean i know some people don't like memoir 44 but i i enjoy it my wife and i enjoy it um so what we need are we need listener recommendations for quick playing <laughs> for bad, bad games, war so. games. yeah <laughs> Right, you know, like something like Holdfast Korea is is a bottom feeder. It's not a bad game by any means, but it sure as the heck is a lot worse than most of the games we're going to be playing, and you can play it in two hours and be done with it. So there you go, folks. Uh, for the time being, I think we should investigate this further. I think you and I should play to take Washington since you have that now, and you can you can experience the system and compare it against GCACW. Yeah, and I think this that. Christmas, when we do our end of the year episode, we can throw some games on here that we're never going to feature. We can uh, re-rank the one time a year we'll allow it and, and we'll address. So, good. Um, now is the part of the show where we talk about all the other things that we've been enjoying. Um, but I've got a couple other things that I thought we could talk about. So... A few weeks ago, I was listening to Board Game Blitz, which is part of the Dice Tower Network, and they did a segment that I think they copped from someone else, and they called it 1 in 100. And basically, they used BGG's ranking of board games to find their favorite game in groups of 100. So in games ranked 1 through 100, what's their favorite game? I was like, hey, Rich, let's do the same thing, but let's go through war games. And that's what we did. Yeah. Now... We have to add something here. The rankings, I don't think the war game rankings are near as set in stone as the board game rankings. Yeah. So when we made our list just two weeks ago or something like that, the numbers have already changed. So we're going to roll with the old numbers, but I think one in particular, like Atlanta Zars, is now in the top 500 instead of sitting outside the top 500. You pointed mm-hmm. out. Okay, and- cool. To go back to what you were just saying a couple minutes ago, according to BGG, the top war game of all time is Twilight Struggle. Right. 
I I think we should start with one one hundred and then move down to a thousand. Sure. Okay. Um, I'll start. So one to one hundred. This is a no brainer. It's U.S. Civil War, which at the time I looked at the list was number fifty. Uh, fantastic game. It's my favorite game of all time. I think it perfectly um, captures the feeling of the struggles of the leadership of both sides of the Civil War. Plus, it's a beautiful looking game. It's tons of fun. Mm-hmm. I'll play it anytime anyone offers. Yeah, same for me. I mean, when your favorite game of all time is in the top 50 or 100 in this case, and um, Advanced Squad later for me, number 12, is it's my all-time favorite game. I mean, if if I could play that once or twice a week at the cost of getting rid of every other game, I would. I just, I like it that much. And I don't get to play it enough, um, and it's not, you know, um, it's not the only game I play, but it's my favorite. Something to be said about Advanced Squad Leader, if you, not only if you could, you would, but you could, because there's enough stuff oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, uh, that's, you could just play Advanced Squad Leader. Yep. And I think think another thing about ASL, and this is why, I mean, I've heard people call it like a a lifestyle game or something like that, but the more you play it, the more you enjoy it as well, so. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that, because the more time I've spent with it, yeah, more stories, more appreciation, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, so 101 to 200. I cheated a little bit here. It's We've already talked about this once this episode. I chose Korea, The Forgotten War, based off what I've seen. Again, this is probably my favorite OCS uh, covers. I love reading about the Korean War, so I definitely want to play this more. But Korea, The Forgotten War, which is the OCS entry number 143. Yeah, this kind of feels like a cheat for me, too, because I've only played it once. But Downtown, Air War of Hanoi, which is uh, it's it's the same system as Red Storm, which I love so much. But Downtown is the Vietnam version of it. And another one. I mean, I, I don't know that I would play that every week um, just because... There's a lot of planning involved and everything, but you know that's a game that if I could have a regular game and if I could play that once a month for the rest of my life, I would do it. Well, you may have mentioned this before, but I, I've forgotten if you did. Would you rather play Downtown over Red Storm? I mean, all things equal. Just so that's a hard question wise. to answer, and the, the only reason it's hard is because I've played Red Storm so much more that I don't really know the intricacies of Downtown yet. Downtown has... What I think is cool, um, it has, it's obviously real, it's geographic, but, you know, they've got what you might have heard called Thud Ridge before, which is like a mountain region where the, you know, the bombers would fly behind that to protect themselves from SAM so that they could get in and bomb Hanoi without getting shot by all the SAMs and everything. Whereas in Red Storm, there are some mountains and hills and rough and stuff like that, but but nothing, there's no, no like major defining terrain feature that does that, so... Um, it's hard to say, um, whether I would like Red Storm or Downtown better because I, w- I need to play Downtown more to make that decision. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, we have a crossover for the next cluster, which is, uh, 201 to 300, which is Road, Roads to Gettysburg 2. Um, it's great campaigns in the American Civil War. We just talked a ton about it. With Roads to Gettysburg, you get like three games in one. Mm-hmm. So like bang for your buck wise, this is and honestly, as good as it gets. Gettysburg is the only one I've played in that box before. So I need to get okay, out so the I, haven't, pl- I haven't played Gettysburg yet. Okay. But there's, it's Here Come the Rebs, Roads to Gettysburg. Here Comes the Red is uh, Maryland and Tiedem campaign, Roads to Gettysburg. 
And then uh, speaking of to take Washington, Rebels in the White House. Okay. Three yeah. games in roads to Gettysburg. Yeah. yeah I, I uh, like the Gettysburg one because, and I've said this before, but I think the most fascinating part about Gettysburg is the stuff that happens before the battle. And GCACW does a good job of showing that large scale mm-hmm. maneuvering rather than the guys just getting together and shooting each other. Oh, damn it. <laughs> now I'm thinking of. <laughs> Now I'm thinking about our ranking. Well, it's set in stone until December anyways, but that's a really good point. Like, the, I mean, you couldn't do that. I guess you could. Like, and to take Washington, um, there are, you know, guys come in off the map, so it's got a little bit of the, you don't, like, start firing at each other, you know, in the bloody lane. you got to move them there. But that's a really good point. Uh, but we're going to move on from there and worry about that in December. 301 to 400. I had 7th Fleet, which was ranked number 371. You want to talk about games that you want to go back and revisit and learn the entire system. Uh, the Fleet series just blew me away in February when we played. We were supposed to get back to it in March, and obviously with everything going on, we didn't. But uh, the Fleet series holds up to this day, and I hope we get a, a reprint of some kind soon. Yeah. I've never played a fleet game, so I can't comment on it. I was I was going to buy one a few weeks ago from one of the guildies, and I think he was over in like Europe or something, and the shipping was going to be like way more than the cost of the game. So, <laughs> yeah, for me in that in that area, it was going to be Next War Poland. So we've talked about the Next War system. Poland, I enjoy. Um, again, it's 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 kind of interesting. I've never been to that area geographically, but you know, growing up as a kid in the eighties and next war is obviously not an 80s war but when i was growing up that was sort of the next war that people were talking about so you know the 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 thought of the whole red horde pouring through the the gap there and yeah good game thanks i probably would have been up there if i had played poland but i saw so much of that series ago 401 to 500 uh, my pick was none but heroes yeah, and I cheated here because I haven't <laughs> really played Beyond the Rhine, but at the time that these rankings, that we were looking at them, there was very little in that 400 to 500 that I'd played, and um, I've played around with Beyond the Rhine, and I'm starting to get OCS, so I'm pretty sure that I feel safe with that pick, but it is a little bit of a cheat. Yeah, it's got some, if you go back and listen to that episode, it's got some really fun rules with like a D66 table and all the random events that can happen. Mm-hmm. Beyond the Rhine is uh, a phenomenal OCS entry. It's a big one, though, is the, the big downside mm-hmm. for some, I guess. Uh, 501 to 600, we had another crossover. That's Atlanta's ours. Yeah, which is uh, now the yeah. number three game of all time, according to us, but it's at 509, <laughs> according to other people. <laughs> two, two to three, who's who's to say? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, another great GCACW. I would probably get Roads to Gettysburg before I would get Atlanta's ours. But again, I think it just comes down to topic taste. I just think you get more in the Roads to Gettysburg box. That's definitely true. I do think that, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one I would rank higher at this point. Um, they're They're both good. Oh, I would probably do if I had played more Roads to Gettysburg. Yeah. For me, it probably, well, we'll just have to wait and find out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, 601 to 700, I did Battle Him, which is the very first game I featured on mm-hmm. this podcast. Um, I, was, I, I saw that Compass announced a whole bunch of pre-orders, so I ran over their Facebook page, and I was like, hey, any update on Battle Him Volume 2, which was supposed to be like near production, I have no idea. It's like falling off the face of the earth. Did you get any response at all? They thumbsed up my comment. <laughs> it's like, cool. 
Thanks. That's helpful. So one of the game. So we we talk a lot about Battle Hymn and Gettysburg specifically, but the second game in that box is the Battle for Pea Ridge. But there's actually another game on that battle that I like even better called Thunder in the Ozarks. It's a Herman Lutman blind swords game, um, and I, to be honest, I hate the map for it. I think it's ugly, but the game itself is really good. So the next two were kind of by default. So for me, uh, so right now we're in the seven hundred one to eight hundred range. Mm-hmm. Not war, not war, but murder um, was my pick. This is a Michael Ranella. Uh, area impulse game, uh, civil war game. The big downside here is it has one of my least favorite mechanics. Uh, this is uh, this is Cold Harbor, so it's Lee and Grant. Um, it's got the okay. You've taken eight points of losses. Now, like convert those to retreats or step losses. I for some reason that mechanic just bugs the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but other than that, the area impulse games are really good, and this one was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a magazine game, not war but murder. Yeah. And then coming in somewhere in the 700s was Red Storm, which is one of my favorite games. So that was an yep. easy one for me. 801 to 900 is Operation Battle Axe, which is another Michael Ranella um, area impulse game. The first of those that I played. Um, and it's, um, oh my gosh, it's it's uh, Africa World War II, but now I'm trying to think of... Uh, what what battle it is um battle axe is one of the early ones i think that was yeah oh, the, i guess uh, it is just was, battle axe i right? think that was the brits before the u.s even got into it oh yeah yeah for sure it's a, yeah uh, yeah that's uh, it's 1941 it's early on i'm trying to think of i guess that's that's what it was um so yeah that's a really cool one where um basically like some of the uh units are locked down and become available after certain triggering events uh, it's a pretty good one. I think I like Operation Battle Axe more than Not War But Murder, but again, it's got the variable losses that bugs the hell out of me. Mm. Yeah, in that 800 range, it was a game that uh, was actually, we played it with a designer here in St. Louis on our day with the designer um, not long before the lockdown. I think it might have been our, our last month before lockdown. But um, yeah, it's called Fall Blau, Army Group South. Uh, the guy's name is Greg Blanchett. Uh, it's a Compass Games game, and he just came out with an expansion for it too called Car Called Battles, maybe, or something like that. Um, but it's an interesting game. It's, you know, it's an Eastern Front game, um, one mapper. You know, the the cool thing about it is you don't know your unit's strength until they get into combat. You have an idea. So, like, you've got A units and B units and C units, but each one has a range. And once they get into combat, you find out, okay, like, oh, these guys are A's, but they're only a 7. These guys are B's, but they're an 8. These guys are C's, and they're a 2's. So, um, pretty cool mechanic, I thought. Nice. And then we cross over again in the 901 to 1000. Thousand, excuse me. That's a brave little Belgium. Yeah, one of our uh, favorite listeners is the developer, this designer of this game. Absolutely, great interview with those guys. Uh, go check that out, and check out their new game, White Eagle Defiant. We should probably rank uh, Brave Little Belgium at some point. Yeah, um, since we, yeah, both I would certainly it. put yeah. it higher than nine oh five or wherever it it stands now. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is you you get when you go into the war game stuff. A lot of stuff ends up this far back because it's not as well played. Yeah. If you go look at the 
Now, there's just so many games now. I think if you go look at the 900 to 1,000 just general board games, you're going to find a lot of board, good board games. But I think the same thing can be said about 900 to 1,000 um, war games. I mean, like you see like Labatai titles and stuff this far back in the rankings just because I don't – one, I don't think as many people are ranking them because there's so many other venues to go talk about war games but they're also just not being played as much or, you know, the main focus of BGG really isn't war games anyways. So yeah, uh, it was a fun little exercise. Yeah. I know I like BGG has some sort of algorithm other than just, you know, what sure. are people voting it and what is the average of those votes? But I don't know how it works. Um, yeah, I think yeah, you're I think right. After... I mean, if you, if you rank their games by number of voters, twilight struggle also comes up with the highest number of votes. And I think in general, people, like, I mean, I, I don't rank games on BGG that much anymore. I used to do it a little bit, but I'd be much more likely to rank game high than low. I'm not going to bother going to BGG to say True. I hate this game. Some people yeah. do, but I'm more likely, like, if you look at my rankings, they're almost all sevens, eights, nines, because those right. are the games that I like. And I think that's true of most things. I'm a lot more reluctant to go rate a game of seven, but I'm a lot more reluctant to go or more interested to go ranking a game of 10 or something's got awful. It's the same thing like reviewing a restaurant. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if service was great, I'll go do it. Or if service was terrible, then absolutely I'm going to go, you know, poo-poo their reviews. Although I'm always scared to because now on Google reviews, it shows your name. So it's like, <laughs> I want to. It's like, oh, no, they're going to come and find me. Uh, cool. That was fun. I liked, uh, I liked doing that. The other thing, um, normally I just put a little plug in there like, Hey, shoot us your questions, uh, in an email and stuff. But this time I just said on Twitter, I said, Hey, send us your questions beforehand. And we got a few questions. Uh, Harold asks, will we play as much vassal when the restrictions recede or will we go back to the ancient ways? That's an uh, excellent question. So for me, Pre-kid, I had two monthly game days, ASL and Kansas City Historical Gaming Group. When things go back to normal, I definitely want to do Kansas City Historical Gaming Group, but most of my gaming was already, the people I play war games with live all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so I was already playing a lot of Vassal games and only one or two in-person games a month. So, for, sorry. So, for me, I don't think I'm going to see that much of a change than adding a few more in face plays. Yeah. I think that I will still continue playing a lot of Vassal like I always have. I'm in a similar situation as you. We had our monthly game day. And then for a while, we had a, I had a weekly game day with, with one or, or two other guys. And, um, and then some, some, for a period, I had a couple different game nights where I was, you know, most most weeks I would go two nights and then sometimes once a month as well. Um, so I think that once there are no restrictions at all and everything is totally safe, I will not play as much Vassal as I'm playing now. Um, so I think I will, but I will probably play more Vassal than I did before. So I think I'll probably come somewhere down in the middle there. And then Harold asks, are hex encounter designs just comforting, romantic to grognards, or are they optimal means of modeling conflict tactically, operationally, and strategically? Um, I, I can't answer this question. If you want to take a stab at it, go ahead. What I'll just say is I play war games because I enjoy the gaming experience. 
they obviously offer some kind of value to military organizations. I have no military background, so I couldn't tell you what kind of value you can get out of that. I know at the Command General Staff College, they use it in different ways. I know that at the, um, is it down in Quantico? I know that Mitch Mitch Land has been, you. they bring him in mm-hmm. to get some kind of value out of that. Now, I would think that it's probably more value at an operational and strategic level, just based on if like I had to take a guess. I don't know how much tactical value you could get out of war games. But again, I don't have that background. But just based off of the historical treatment of war games in the military, from what I gather from talking to people, I think there's value there and it's just not a you know, comforting exercise to grog minds. But I really can't answer that question. Yeah, from my understanding, and again, I'm not an expert either. Other people can answer this a lot better than I can. But from my understanding, a lot of it has to do with the specifics of the location and the timeline as well. Um, every single game, no matter what, is um, is going to do some some generalizations and is going to have to abstract some things. There's, there's no game that has no abstract in, in it um, unless you're actually going out and shooting people. Um, so... That said, if you want to model the movement of forces from one place to another, um, you have to consider about where you are in the world and where you are throughout history and how people actually moved. Um, My point in this is that I love Hex Encounter. I like seeing freedom. But if you're playing in an Ancients game, you know, they didn't... They, they followed roads. That's just, that's the way you got around. Um, and if the road didn't go there, you probably didn't go there either because A, it was, you you can't just march through a forest and expect to get there in a certain timely fashion. And B, the roads went to the important places anyway. There was nothing in the middle of the forest is worth going to get. So um, point-to-point movement is is a simulation and an abstraction of the realities of movement in a lot of games. There are other games, especially when you get into tactical games, where, yeah, I'm going to go through this swamp. It's going to cost me more movement to do so, but it's important because I want to be able to shoot these guys from two sides instead of one. So um, I think that there definitely is some comfort romantic aspect to it. Um, But I think as much as it's appealing I think you just need to understand what the designer is trying to show because two games can cover the same, same time period, same battle, same everything. And one designer really wants to show you this aspect of it. And the other designer really wants to show you that aspect of it. And at that point, they make two different games that are both, you know, you may enjoy one more than the other, but they're both equally valid in doing what they want to do. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, and maybe I misunderstood Harold's question because when you phrase it that way, I I guess I generalized it all as all conflict simulation or war games, whatever you want to call it. He asked, "Are hex encounter designs, um, yeah, are I they think- optimal?" And I guess now when you reassess it, yeah, I think I, then you're exactly right. I think what is the designer trying to portray? So I misunderstood it. Uh, sorry about that, but. I think it just depends, like exactly like you said. And 
Yeah. And then you've in, got in some situations, yeah, hex encounter makes sense. In some situations, obviously, yeah. it doesn't. And like you're, you're talking about a game you mentioned a little bit ago, an area impulse game too. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a third way of doing it, where you know it's it's not not point to point, it's not hex encounter. It's this area. We're just going to move in and control this area. Right. So. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or you can just go. You can go miniatures and pull out yeah. a bunch of rulers <laughs> and crap like that. So. Uh, Robert sent an email and he provided a couple game suggestions and I just wanted to mention one he he sent remember we were talking about Torneo 44 and then there's the Finnish trilogy from the guy in Finland but it's like hundreds of dollars and mm-hmm. massive he said um, one game to check out is called Freezing Death by Linden Lake Games I think they're also out of Finland as well um, he says it plays really quickly, and then he asked about what our favorite quick-playing games were. Uh, so I had a couple that came to mind, like, instantly, but then I thought we could talk about some more next month. You know, like, Brave Little Belgium, I think, is, like, your ideal, like, mm-hmm. hey, here's something you can knock out in 30 minutes. Yeah, and just on top of that, almost anything from Hollenspiel is worth a look. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, some of the stuff I haven't been crazy about, but I no, do no, have, I, yeah, I probably I have five yeah. or six of their games that I enjoy. Yeah, they're not batting a thousand, but if you're looking for small, quick war games, that's a good place to start. Yeah. And then there's like, I know there's some smaller publishers out there that... Um, Tiny Battle like, Publishing is that's, one. Yeah, yeah, that's I was trying to buy time as I tried to think about <laughs> it. But then you can even go, you can turn to the big dogs, you know, any of the commands and color games, I think are yeah now if you have to exclude setup time because i think setting up a game in memoir 44 is ridiculous and it takes way more time than it should considering how simple it is but like there's different levels of detail in those games i think there's a huge difference between memoir 44 and commands and colors but you could probably knock out a scenario that easily in under two hours or something like that but we'll Mm -hmm. do some more thinking on it um but those are like the first two that came to mind was like obviously brave little belgium Things like table battles from Holland Spiel, commands and colors, easily, easily. <laughs> you could probably play Twilight Struggle in under two hours if, if you both really mm-hmm. kept moving quickly. I don't know about quickly. that. Well, maybe, if yeah. you're playing me, you can probably do it in <laughs> under two hours. I guarantee it because I suck at that game. <laughs> Just take it to death walk con one and wait until you <laughs> start the nuclear war. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the kind of guy that plays Olympics at DEFCON <laughs> 1 or whatever. Yep. Uh, so thank you, Harold and Robert. Maybe I'll do another call for those. But, yeah, we'll talk about some other short games next month. Uh, and then, yeah, this is the part of the show where we talk about other, all the other uh, crap that's interesting us, like things like Lovecraft Country, which is just getting more and more bizarre. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to get a month of HBO so I can binge through that. Yeah, you should probably wait until, uh, is it Wolves Among Us? There's a new show. Oh, yeah, I heard I heard about that. Not I Wolves Among yeah. Us. Some, um, no, there is one called that. There's or That chil- was a... Children of Wolves or something, maybe? Yeah, something Wolves, Wolves Among Us was a uh, PlayStation game. Children uh, of Wolves. Something like that, yeah. I remember hearing someone talk about it. Yeah, anyways, I've heard Raised by Wolves. There it is. Okay. So I've heard really good things about that. So if you're going to do a month, I would say wait for that because that's that's definitely on my up next. Um, but I finished the book. Oh, man, the book was good. Really recommend it. It's the same title, Lovecraft Country, top notch. So, okay. Was there a book before TV show or was it – did they come out together? Yeah. How, okay. Book came out first. 
Okay. Super good. Highly, highly recommend it. Early on, the show holds really true to the book. But, like, right now we're in Korea. And I was like, no, that's not a thing in the book at all. <laughs> like, they don't go to Korea at all. Uh, but I, I'm enjoying it. It's There's some really fucked up stuff in that show. Really bizarre stuff. Um, and my brother was watching it. He's the one that turned it on, turned me on to it. But he's kind of, like, fallen off from it. So now it's like... Just my wife and I gushing about it to each other. What is the plan for the show? Do you know? Is it like a 22-episode season or do you know? I have no idea. I did see that the main actor it has been cast as, rumored as cast as Kang the Conqueror in the new Ant-Man movie. Huh. Which is interesting because Kang is like... It doesn't necessarily mean he'll be off the show though because a movie is... No. I mean, it takes no, time and it's more either. of a one-shot thing. What I, if it was what another TV show, it would be different. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Kang, like, to use Kang on just an Ant-Man movie is like a... Seems interesting. Like, Kang is Thanos level. Almost. Is he? Yeah, I've he's heard like, of him, but I don't... I'm not that He's like Reed Richards' relative from the 31st century or some shit like that. Yeah. And, uh, like, he time travels and, like, he has all kinds of shenanigans. So, anyways... um, I guess it really makes sense cool with Ant Man though. Yeah, because they've got and, the, and maybe know, that's why they did it. I just like and maybe maybe he'll tie in to be a bigger bad. Anyways, I just happened to see that um, he got cast in that role. I was like, oh, that's cool because uh, he does a good job. I, I really like the cast in that. Um, there's one gal in particular I don't like that her based off how her role is in the book and how they're using her now. Anyways, other than that, love the show. Still riding that Cthulhu high. As a matter of fact, I'm gearing up for a Call of Cthulhu RPG set in Kansas City, which you're playing in. Nice. What does Tomstown mean? Tomstown is... That's the name of the, the game we're playing, but I don't know what it means. So Yeah, so Tomstown is the name of the campaign that, I, that I've chosen. Uh, Tomstown today is a distillery that makes wonderful gin, but... Tom Pendergast during Prohibition basically uh, ran a corrupt political machine in Kansas City, and Kansas City was basically an open city for drinking, gambling, whoring, all that stuff. And uh, he's got a famous quote that's like, the people are thirsty, so let them drink. So there was no Prohibition-related arrests in Kansas City during Prohibition unless you, of course, were either not paying the correct people or were a political opponent of Boss Tom. And so I'm I'm kind of tying that stuff into, and you'll see how that shakes out. Cool. But their gin is some of the best gin I've had. Yeah, I got to get something going. I'm I keep saying I'm going to run something, and I keep finding delays and reasons not to do it. And I'm trying to get my my in town group back together. We're probably not going to meet face to face at first, but we might start online or something. We've got some conversations going about that. So nice. I think my real life buddies. As opposed to just like the people I play RPGs with online, one guy dropped from our D and D campaign, and mm-hmm. we're, so we're trying to find a replacement. He's like building a house and has three kids, and it's like, dude, you don't don't force this. Yeah. So uh, we'll keep it going, but yeah, I mean, it's just been a whirlwind year for RPGs, and I I love it. Uh, other than that, just the game room. It's gonna be really nice when it's done. I thought you had that painted last weekend. Is it not done yet? No, so we painted this weekend. Okay. 
Um, painting's done other than one wall, this kind of like accent wall that my wife's doing with all this color. And then next weekend or maybe the weekend after we'll get the shelves and then it's just a waiting game for uh, the table. And then, you know, we're going to do things like right now we have a little, it's not tiny, but a, a small TV comparatively down here. And so we're going to replace that with something on like a boot, a swing arm so you can watch it mm. and play games. But all that stuff's in the future. So the goal right now is just to get shelves, table, get it to that point. We've got our computers set up, all that stuff and painted. It's coming along nicely, but I'll be glad when it's done. Cool. Do you work from home? No, we're no? back in okay. the office. All right. Yeah. Because I'm still working from home. Where I'm going to be here until next summer. So. Wow, next summer. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy it's in June. We're not coming back till June. Holy so. shit! I know, but I mean, it's you know, I'm in my game room, so. Yeah. I mean, we could, but we're we're not. It is what it is, though. Mm-hmm. Um. So I do want to talk about tied to the game room. When the game room's done is when I'm going to cycle up history off the table, which is going to be a live Twitch show. Um, and obviously you as co-host of history on the table are always welcome on history off the table. But the whole point of history off the table is to talk about the, I get into hobbies like really hard. Like when I'm into it, I go hard in the paint and I want to talk about those things. So really it's a vehicle for me to talk about all the other things I'm into because as much as I want this to be Lovecraft on the table right now, like this isn't Lovecraft on the table. So, you know, I've just thought about like, okay, we'll have some episodes in this one in particular. We're talking about Lovecraft and now we're going to talk about comics and just like just a vehicle to talk about the things that I'm enjoying and special guests you things like that just want to come on and talk about not on history on the table you know like if you're really into matchbox cars like sure come on rich tell us about your matchbox matchbox car collection do like that is it gonna be a video then since it's on twitch yeah so uh yeah but nothing crazy like i think i'll just turn a webcam on and then like if you know if i need to share something on my screen i'll share something on my screen and uh yeah and if it works out live i'll just capture the audio and go from there and we'll see how it goes and if it's and I think I'll do it on a separate feed. I might do like the first few episodes on the History on the Table feed. And then once it's going, then I'll just, it'll be its own feed. Because there's some other things, some other comic book related things that I would like to be a part of that. And I don't want to flood the war game stuff with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the goal right now. I had teased a another podcast. I had, uh, had a deal on Twitter. And right now, that's that's on hiatus. Um, okay, so, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So my goal was to get like a wide variety, because right now you and I have this podcast, and our interests are pretty well aligned. I know you play more miniatures games as well, but we don't really talk about miniatures. I think we both play Euro games, but we don't really talk about Euro games. What I wanted to find were people that like someone who maybe just plays all Euro games or all family games or something like that. And what I ended up getting was just some great people but they had the exact same interests as you and i it's like Mm -hmm. well not exactly what i'm looking (laughs) for so i've put it on hiatus and if it ever comes to fruition it'll come to fruition but that's that's where that is uh what's good in your life right now rich anything uh like i said yeah i just i i finished up my sort of goals for the year and you know that feels good so with me then the next thing is just not not stopping um you know try to tell myself there's no finish line, but also, um, 
yeah, I mean, playing more games. It's nice to, to get back into it. I've got, I've got Vietnam set up on the table, Vietnam 65 to 75. I'm going to have uh, a friend that's going to start coming over and we're going to start working our way through that. And I mean, honestly, if, if I had my druthers that might stay up there for a year or two. So while we play our way through that, so we're both interested in, in nice long games. And then, um, yeah, definitely want to play more RPGs. Uh, I've, I've got to run something. Um, if I get the, the, the in town group going again, what we were doing for a while is there were two of us that would just take turns GMing. So that way, you know, we would get to play for a while and GM for a while. And, um, we played a lot of different stuff. We played the one ring, we played Star Wars RPG, we played Call of Cthulhu, we played Deadlands. Um, we were talking about playing, uh, whatever the, the Warhammer fantasy one is, but we, that was, we never played that. So, oh, we played, I think, I think we played D&D too. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of everything. Um, going to want to get that going again. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for now. Just looking forward to playing. Have you, uh, any fiction you've read lately? That Yeah. My wife and I are, we're listening to another book together. It's a, uh, it's called, what's it called? Nation. Um, and she's heard it before, but it was one of her favorites. So she wanted me to hear it. So we're usually listening to something together. We just, you know, steal half an hour here and there. And we don't watch that much TV. Although recently we actually just finished because she had never seen Clone Wars. So we finished Clone Wars with her, including the last season that I hadn't seen yet. Cause I was waiting for her and we just started watching rebels now. So, um, don't play many video games, but I do play uh, a few with my with my 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 little one that still lives at home, and then the other ones in college. So um, play a little bit of Star Wars Battlefront, which I enjoy, but the college one especially is just way too good for me. So, um, but have you seen this game? I don't know if you play video games either. Star Wars Squadrons that's coming out. Uh yeah I have and yeah. I do play yeah I play okay video games. yeah kind of looked looks like the the next version of X Wing mm-hmm. versus Tie Fighter so we're looking mm-hmm. forward to picking up that one I'll be terrible at it but it looks fun yeah I I'm purposely avoiding anything and trying to not let my uh keep my hopes in check because I'm sure I would let my yeah. expectations get way too high um so if I go in with low expectations and then you know pick it up when it's super cheap like. Uh, Star's Battlefront 2 I think by the time I picked up number 2 I got it for like 10 bucks or something like that because it just dropped in price so mm-hmm. low um, so yeah I'll, I'll, I may be a little more in, in on squadrons a little quicker than that but uh, you know speaking of Star Wars we got Mandalorian season 2 yeah it's coming out in about 6 weeks or so yeah 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 Dune movie a lot of good stuff yeah, you know, all these movies that are getting delayed, there's going to be um, a lot of good stuff that I assume will be coming to our home TV sooner rather than later. I don't know if Mulan was a success for Disney. Yeah, or that's not. that's that's interesting. The whole you can if you pay thirty bucks, you can see it. So yeah, um, especially because you know, like Hamilton was supposed to come out this fall in the theaters, and they're like, ah, you can watch that if you get Disney. So right, yeah, you know. Did we talk about Mulan last month? I don't remember if we did or not. I didn't. don't think but so. Like, it makes sense. Okay, so like your case, you've got one one daughter at home. So like if you and your wife and her went to the movies, mm-hmm. well, that's probably 45 bucks. Yeah. 
So, like, if you really wanted to see Mulan right Save now. Save money on popcorn, too. <laughs> 30, $30 to own a movie digitally really isn't that bad a deal for you. Now, for my wife and I, that's like one. I mean, this is all assuming that we really wanted to see Mulan. Right. Which isn't really the case. But, like, for my wife and I, it's not as good a deal because we can go to the movies for less. Because, obviously, our daughter isn't watching Mulan anytime soon. Um but it does make it interesting, especially like if something really comes out, like if if Wonder if they just say, All right, Wonder Woman eighty four is coming to HBO Max and you've got to pay thirty bucks for it. It's like, Oh, well now we're talking because well, that's yeah. something I would draw. Yeah, I wouldn't do it for Mulan, but so my my birthday's in May and my nephew's birthday, we share a birthday. So we always do something together on our birthday. In fact, we usually go see like, a, you know, there's big blockbuster movies in May every year. So usually we go see a Marvel or a DC movie or something like that just because they're fun to watch. And um, and this year we were going to go see Black Widow, but who knows what's going on with that now. But if, they, right. if they said, hey, 30 bucks to see Black Widow, I'd probably, you know, call up my nephew and say, hey, come over. We're going to watch Black Widow for our birthday. Yep. And then it gets into like, okay, well, now you own it digitally and stuff like yeah. that. And then. Now, I don't think it was any good, and I think it is in theaters, but I did want to see um, New Mutants until now. I think it's... Is that an X-Men movie? Um, it is New Mutants. I don't... It, yes. Okay. It's, um, it's, it's X-Men adjacent, right? Okay. It's like the next... I don't want to say next wave because X-Men universe anyway? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's like five younger kids. I was excited for it, but I, I don't think it's doing very good. So I wouldn't pay for it anyways. But you know, if they had gone straight to home release, then yeah, again, we might've been talking like, yeah, 30 bucks on a digital copy. I remember when Gone Girl came out in theaters and it was up for best picture. Mm-hmm. My wife and I was like, Hey, you want to go see it? And I was like, yeah. And sure enough, Tickets twenty five bucks or whatever, and I happened to look on Amazon, and it already had a Blu Ray release, but it was still in theaters. I was like, "Or <laughs> we can spend twenty four dollars on Amazon, get free same day shipping, and watch it tonight at home." Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so, like, there's definitely a point where I'd be a lot more interested in buying those off my streaming service instead of going to the theaters, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, nice good. to own a digital movie in general. I mean, sure. you know, we still, like I, I talked before, we're trying to clean stuff out. And there's so many DVDs laying around that's like, do I want to, is it worth this taking up, you know, a, a half inch of space on my shelf? Am I going right. to watch it again? So. <laughs> so I used to have a ton of DVDs and we still have, we have a good number, but most of them are now in, in boxes. And we have yep. kind of up in our family room, we each have like two little pullout cubby things it's like all right you can fill this up with all your favorite movies and then we've left all our disney movies out but we had a whole bunch of others and at one point when i had a shit ton i trimmed (laughs) this is ridiculous i trimmed like um a 16th of an inch off each edge (laughs) and then put them in slim cases yeah to make them all fit on my shelves so like a normal dvd case and then like you cut it down to a quarter of the size by putting it in these smaller cases. Huh. And it's like, oh, it was so ridiculous. I used to be way into like, I mean, I still really like movies, but at some point I was like, why the fuck do I have all these? Yeah. Yeah. We but, even considered, we're like, uh, should we just like, you know, rip them to a file server or something and get rid of them? And I'm like, I don't know that I even want to go through the effort of all that. Yeah. That's, that's a lengthy, yeah. lengthy progress is, is my understanding. So like at some point it's just like, well, 
if I could take all these either to have price books or Goodwill just get rid of them. And right now I'm in like a purge mode anyways. Mm-hmm. Like if they were still here, I'd be pitching them. But like I said, a, a few years ago, we do have a box down in the basement of, I don't know, there's all kinds of movies in there. Just things we're never going to watch and we should probably get rid of them. And then we do have our favorites, but... Yeah, I'm trying to buy less crap like that because it just takes up so much space. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that's uh, that's where we'll call it. Yeah, it was good. Fun talking good. to you, as always. Yeah, you too. Um, if you have any comments or questions, if you want to send us a question that we can read on the air, if you have a recommendation for a bottom feeder on our every war game ever list, please send it to us. <laughs> Nothing uh, history, too bad. We're looking yeah. for something in the 10 to 15 range. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or if we can play it one evening pretty quickly <laughs> against each other, that's even better and you get bonus points. You can cash in bonus points for bonus awards, which can then be redeemed and collected for ultra bonus points. And with 100 ultra bonus points, you get a super secret prize. But you need 10 super secret prizes to get the ultimate prize. So how, how many luck. shrink bucks is that worth? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going for. Uh, send us an email, historytablepodcast at gmail.com, historytablepodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at historytablepod. Uh, same thing on Instagram. Um, I'll be posting right now. There's just paint pictures for the game room progress, but I will continue to post as we make progress on the game room. If you want to follow along, I'll be posting them on my Instagram as well. Rich, if people want to find you on the web, where are you at? Best place to find me is on Twitter. I am Trapeer Jr. And, yeah, if you follow me there, you're probably going to get some uh, good reports of two idiots trying to learn how to play Vietnam 6575 in the next few weeks. Nice. All right. That's going to do it, folks. Uh, we'll be back next month. Uh, everyone stay safe, wear your mask, do all that good stuff, and we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Have fun. Bye. Thanks.